on this episode some chat and banter about liverpool's carabao cup win over chelsea man united stumble as arsenal and man city turn the screws and a look ahead at the manchester derby all this and more in the tokitaka podcast Welcome listeners to the latest edition of the Toki Taka podcast. At the end of last episode, I had said that uh, when we meet the next time, either Radhaji or me, one of us will be happy. No prizes for guessing who that person is as Liverpool beat Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final and Radhaji is still breaking open a can to celebrate that. Uh, we have uh, RK as well on the panel today. So boys... how has your football journey been over the last week week and a half um radha ji i think i have to start with you for talking points i'm not going to let you celebrate i wonder i wonder what my talking point could be this this week uh yeah there's just no doubt about it oh, there's so many things about that final uh that was it was like a dream it meant a lot more for all of us fans obviously with the context of it being clubs last season all of that we'll get more into that but the my talking moment specifically is going to be um i think the period in the in the first half or or the second half of extra time i can't remember exactly where uh, the kids were on and i think there was just an there was just a real uh, a show of absolute amazing support from the fans in the stadium where ali 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 was playing or ringing loud for 5 minutes straight during the game it's almost like the crowd just willed the bunch of nervous kids on uh, just try to give them a little bit of uh, courage through some of that it was just incredible to watch and the liverpool fans have been calling after the last two finals against chelsea at uh, at wembley and winning that they started calling wembley anfield south so yeah anfield south is my talking moment of the of the week rk do you have anything to add about this final yeah so one thing you know when you talk about the final the first thing that comes to mind is the van dijk disallowed goal uh, second thing that comes to mind is the chelsea missed the number of chances that chelsea missed but i think the standout moment is that disallowed goal uh, i i still can't believe what was the decision that went behind it what exactly did you know was enzo being accused of was he even offside or did, did he even you know did him obstructing not obstructing someone really you know interfere with anything going on not sure that was like really mind blowing uh, it it is a really memorable game uh, so a lot of things including that to talk about but yeah. just just before we move on to the final uh, my talking moment is not the van dyke one but it's a really horrible saturday evening uh, which we had last la- last time out a lot of us were expecting uh, at least united fans had talked about you know uh, how kind of Uncon- uh, uh, you know unconvincing in some aspects united have been despite winning four consecutive premier league games so all all of that came home to roost literally came home to roost last saturday so at home losing in added time losing in fergie time in fergie's home was like pretty pretty mind blowing as well so that's my talking moment and by the end of that match i was really hoping for us to lose because i didn't want another performance like another bad performance with a decent result so yeah. yeah 
and uh, my talking point is also from the final uh, where uh, i mean yeah liverpool chelsea played up and uh, i'm just a bit confused with all this klopp's kids uh, uh, narrative considering chelsea's average age was around 2 years lesser than liverpool's at the start of the game and was one and a half years less than liverpool's at the end of the game so yeah i for me it was just older kids beating younger kids uh, and probably the older kids had more experience despite the fact that uh, they were all kids and that proved decisive at the end and i think i'm sure rather yeah, i mean i think we should that. yeah i think just like uh, pochettino after the game swag this is pure some a class gaslighting happening right here just missing the missing the point i think the point is not just the age it's the fact that we're we're like they are kids from a footballing standpoint like they've not played any football at a senior level at all it was that aspect rather than the average age of the squad or anything of that sort so there was a guy who made his debut in professional football on wednesday and then played came on in extra time in the cup final it was that kind of thing so and if you actually look at it you're talking about an entire team with their experience van dyke exp- very expensive signing all of that together we're talking about the entire liverpool team costing less than the two center midfielders of chelsea right so i think that's the that's the aspect uh, that i think everybody's talking about although i completely feel gary neville went over the top uh, with the, with those with those comments i mean um, what on commentary he said something about the billion pound bottle jobs i felt like that was a pretty personal Bill, billion pound um, blue bottle kind jobs. of yeah so uh, it seemed like a pretty nasty comment uh, from him but i think the part about kids is not just the age is the fact that they've never really played football at a senior level a lot of them so rather before you get away with that uh, you know whole squad cheaper than the two midfielders just remember that if it had if if, if it had been about choice liverpool were also ready to pay that amount for one of them correct and then they would have no excuse to really uh, throw around uh, if if they started a final with caicedo and and like say all of our best midfielders then of course it would be a very different situation than what actually happened on sunday so i mean obviously if we had our first team we would we would have been favorites i i don't think there's any doubt about that it was the fact that the people who were playing literally i i had seen dance for the first time on wednesday when he came on against luton right so it's literally people that you've never seen play for liverpool before like uh, coming on and having to do a 30 minute job uh, against uh, a bunch of talented players all said and done about their inexperience it's a 500 million kind of lineup uh, 11 right like they would have had experience in their own leagues and stuff before that so it's not a it's not a you can't write off that chelsea were a decent uh, squad of players as well so in that sense it was a good achievement and a big achievement and the point is not really about the number the age even pochettino went straight for that comment which i found a little strange i think uh, uh, again is kind of missing the point of uh, uh, well, I, i guess what a lot of people were talking about yeah and i think if uh, i mean obviously uh, if it wasn't for uh, i don't know his first name queen kelher uh, it would have been alison but uh, kelher had a man of the match style performance um, if he hadn't been as good it might have been a different result on the day it it actually wouldn't have been alison so 
Kelleher has been the the Carabao Cup keeper now for the last couple of years, and even the yeah. last final against Chelsea, Correct. he was the he was the star, starting keeper. So even if Allison was fit, he probably wouldn't have played. So, but uh, I have to now that we've like come into the players, I have to like call it out. Kelleher, I know Van Dijk won man of the match. It's easy to give a man of the match to the guy who scores the winning goal in a cup final. But for me, there was no doubt about it. Kelleher was man of the match. He literally kept Liverpool in the game. This was a game Liverpool probably could have not, but but should have lost. I think there were that many really good chances and that many outstanding saves from Kelleher all through the game. Uh, just an outstanding keeper. I can't. I, I really can't wish for a better second keeper. Um, uh, looking at what's around the league in terms of sec- even Chelsea have a decent second keeper, but Kelleher for me is right up there, um, as good as they come. So and he's done. He's this is the second final where he's playing a critical role. And uh, us winning the, us, he saved a few penalties, scored the winning penalty last time around, and this time he was clearly man of the match for me. So yeah, uh, Kelleher really won us that cup along with obviously Van Dijk and everybody else. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a tale of uh, two keepers. I think even Petrovic had a couple of really great saves. Uh, was one of them probably from the new striker, if I remember correctly, Dance, uh, where he tipped it over the bar as well. So. Uh, Petrovic also had a really good game. Uh, but Swag, what do you think about all those missed chances? Some of them really, really embarrassing. Sterling's uh, in the first half uh, on that Jackson counter. Uh, and, uh, you know, Enzo kind of screwing up what looked like not that complicated a finish. But then I, I, I don't know what he ended up, you know, trying to do. So many, so many, uh, you know, missed chances. I'm losing count of them. Connor Gallagher, oh my God, at the end. I think he had the best of the lot. Yeah, so listeners might actually think that I've teleported from one place to another to answer RK's question. It was that tough a question for me to answer. But isn't that the story of the season? Like, the the entire season, it's been the same thing. It's like different ground, same stuff, missing chances, creating chances, missing chances by the boat loads. My daughter agrees as well. And... Uh, uh, like, it doesn't matter if it's Nicholas Jackson, if it's Enzo Fernandez, if it's Raheem Sterling. You just put a blue shirt on and you'll you'll miss it. You you put a blue shirt on a sniper and he'll probably shoot himself. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what uh, we have I, to keep in mind. I actually think that's, I, I, again, I'm not endorsing what Neville said, but I think that aspect... Oh, you called you called out a specific example of uh, Enzo Fernandez, right? Where he's literally four four yards away from goal, and then tries a back heel, and then there's a ball bobbling around in the box, and finally somebody just hits it straight to Kelleher or things like that. It's those kinds of things which I think made Chelsea look like they were like they were mentally probably not in the best shape by the end of the game. I think they were looking like the better team for a large part of the first 90 minutes. But by the in extra time, I think you could see them waning. Um, I, I, I think we were watching it together, RK. I still told you guys that if we go to penalties, just considering the experience of the team, I do expect Liverpool to be second place in if it goes to penalties. And I, I think it was a really getting out of jail thing when Virgil van Dijk scored. Um, but you could actually see Chelsea were waning, men- like they mentality-wise, they you could see them kind of shrink, and I think that's what the whole bottle job thing uh, 
that narrative is is not really uh, so much about chelsea's performance on the day which i think was i think warranted perhaps winning could have warranted winning on another day but it's more about that last 20 30 minutes when the team for example if you have caicedo and enzo fernandez i know they're young okay but they're 21 and 22 or 23 or whatever but you're talking about one world cup winner and one seasoned premier league player at least at and i see i say seasoned lightly of course he's played a season but but it's basically those guys against really i mean who are the people they they're up against they should be physically dominating that the the players that came on they should be mentally dominating them but you didn't see that maybe it was the fans maybe it was the the crowd that got really riled up and 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 perhaps the inexperience of the chelsea players also played a part over there but it shouldn't have been the case where they looked the side that was more mentally perhaps stepping down in that in that game but that ended up happening yeah it it almost looked like uh, those gallagher chances at the end kind of affected them because i think couple of them i think he had three good chances and couple of them were really guiltage ones and i don't know if that affected them in extra time where you know suddenly they were like you know one finish away from victory and now facing a whole bunch of kids but as you said rather even with that situation they should have still kicked on i, I can't remember a very big chelsea chance in the extra time maybe maybe there was one but it was it was mostly liverpool who looked like they would be getting that goal yeah an extra extra time was definitely shared by liverpool and i think after the match poch said something to the effect of the team and this might be his lack of clarity when speaking in english but he said something to the effect of the team felt better if it was going to go to penalties or something like that and if that is the case then you you're already on the back foot if you have to play 30 minutes playing for penalties and you chelsea weren't a particularly defensive side right it wasn't like um, you you'd camped in your half and you would not want to do anything you're just trying to prevent a goal from happening and take it to 120 minutes and then go to penalties and so and also poch saying that reflects on him as a guy who's never won a trophy right if if a manager comes out and says that you know the squad was playing for penalties and that too against a team who was probably has four or five almost kind of debutants most of them must also be debutants couple of them maybe how many games old once came on right at the end maybe four five games five six games he's played and all the rest are basically you know completely fresh and if you think that you are better off taking them on penalties i think i think that shows and and uh, you know a lot of the mentality in a final comes down to you know a manager also and what he is kind of what energy he is giving uh, what kind of belief he is giving probably the fact that he's never won anything substantial i am not considering league one in anything substantial so that shows uh, you know probably in the belief that he's giving to his squad as well yeah i i agree i think there is historical i mean are we really go am i really going to quote jose mourinho and say heritage but but i'm, I'm sure there are aspects of um, the fact that you have to keep in mind that just two years ago like last season was an outlier season but two years ago liverpool were fighting on four fronts right and they were ended up winning two cups uh, two seasons ago so that is fresh in certain players minds right kelher i mentioned van dijk so there were two of the guys who survived from the previous uh, starting starting lineup so that and of course it's a brand new chelsea team and a brand new chelsea manager who like rk said maybe they're not one so i'm sure there was context there but i want to focus on the liverpool side of that uh, context right i can't i can't 
I think this final really hit home to me how insanely important Klopp has been to to this club. Um, you you bring on and by the way the debut for most of the guys who came on in the final was on Wednesday when we played against Luton in the Premier League, and we we won that game quite comfortably in the end. But again, these these kids came on and really played a part. So Dan's ended up actually getting an assist. Uh, well, a pre like a not exactly an assist, but he played the ball. Then the defender just about touched it, and then somebody else scored. So I think Klopp one creating a system within the club where the youth team, the reserve team, the first team all play the same way, and instilling a culture where the first thing that anybody needs to do at any level is learn how to press and learn how to defend. And the fact that you can then bring in people literally the week of a cup final for the first time ever playing football and actually contribute. And Dan's ended up scoring two goals the the game after the cup final. We played Southampton in the in the FA Cup, and he ended up scoring two goals in a in an FA Cup tie. So, and these guys are just like going from strength to strength, and that's the all down to the system that Klopp and the coaches have put into place. So, I'm I it's just really hit home how much you're going to miss the guy has worked miracles. I mentioned it when I was doing the top tribute, the tribute episode where winning is just a bonus. It's just it's really the best time of my. Supporting Liverpool um, in my entire life, and winning is a bonus. I mean, it means a lot more to win this season, like I mentioned, because it's Klopp's end of the season, and I hope this means that we will have a parade, regardless of what happens in any other competition. And on that note, uh, we talked about it last week. Um, I'm, I was looking for tickets. I've sold a lot of my possessions, and I've bought tickets for May nineteenth, the last home game at Anfield, the the goodbye game for Klopp. Um, 60,000 people, full capacity, Anfield is going to be in tears and I'm going to be right there. And hopefully, we have more to celebrate by the end of that season. Hopefully, there's a parade as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But, yep, I've got my tickets and I'm waiting for my visa and stuff and I'm going. Yeah, eagle-eyed listeners will note that uh, Radhaji doesn't have his wireless earphones anymore. He has to make do with regular old wired earphones amongst the list of possessions that he has had to sell. Yeah, moving on, uh, Manchester United, uh, RK, you mentioned them and you guys basically ended up losing as Twitter uh, had a field day saying to a Nigeria 11, both goals for Fulham coming from Nigerian players in Fergie time as well, at home. Take it away. What went wrong or what is going wrong? I think... Uh... It's it's mainly off the ball uh, where, you know, the coaching seems to be completely absent. Uh, so, one of the things that has been wrong from the start of the season is how we react to transitions. Uh, and I think Carragher kind of hit the nail on the head. We, I think, we have talked about it on the spot long before he did, by the way. So, you know, where we have talked about United pressing high... Uh, and then having a deep line and then, uh, you know, uh, people like Casemiro having to cover so much ground in the middle of the pitch and which makes them look much worse than uh, they actually might be. Not not to say that people like him are not declining, but but even then when you leave so much space, good players can also look bad, right? So, I think that's been one, one reason why we concede so many chances on defensive transitions. We have the... Second most shots uh, which have been taken against any uh, side in the Premier League, uh, uh, you know, other than Sheffield United. So that tells the story. We are pretty deep into the season, and stats like that, you know, don't don't hide a- anything. Also, uh, uh, you know, 
our defensive organization of the ball is also not great. Uh, the rest defense is also not great. So when you see us on the ball and you see the last line, the th- the the you know the three people who are there at the back. Uh, one is that they are deep, but they always uh, you know in terms of organization also it's not great in terms of how far apart they are from each other. Uh, you know, or how organized they are. So that's also something that leaves a lot to be desired. So, and then you also talk of set-piece organization. So if we are not the best team defending set-pieces, uh, we, we do lose uh, to, you know, set-piece ploys like, uh, you know, uh, like shadow runs and stuff. So it's not something that we have been able to improve. So you look at all aspects of defensive organization and United are not there. And that's what was happening against uh, Fulham as well. Especially down our left side, they kind of dominated us in the first 30 minutes. And from the first whistle, you could sense a kind of lethargy in the squad. Uh, in the in the first minute itself, someone even as good as Kobe Mainu misplaced a pass and all, you know, almost conceded position. So that that was a bad sign. Things kind of picked up in the last 10-15 minutes of the first half. And then uh, my feeling was that probably they would get a bollocking at halftime and come back out and, uh, you know, play better. But that didn't happen. If anything, the second half was the worst 45 minutes of a pretty bad season, pretty low standards as it is. To the extent that, you know, I talked about it at the start of the sport. By the end of it, I just wanted us to lose that match. I didn't want another, uh, you know, uh, fake result to come in. Another, you know, added time, miracle, fight back. Harry Maguire almost you know, looked like we would be doing a, another one of those added time, uh, you know, comebacks. But I think in a way, it was good that we got that kick in the teeth, conceded, because at least it reflects on how we have been defending as a team. And and, and I feel it's it's good that people like Aragar are bringing up tactical points. For a long time, I was very frustrated watching and hearing Ten Hag's press conferences. People don't really talk about the tactical stuff and why he's not been able to rectify certain things. It's more about you know, Rashford not playing well, Jadon Sancho having a discipline issue, Anthony having some problem. I know after a point, I'm not really interested in talking about those kind of things. I want people to ask questions which are actually affecting the team in terms of how the coaches can impact it and that's been lacking. And I I, I was really happy that Carragher was able to talk about that. And it's also, it's not just uh, about, it's about questioning his, uh, well, let's say, competence, right? I don't think in a lot of of course, he's one of the favorites to get the sack, and he's number three or whatever in that in that list. So there is a lot of pressure on him. But in the public front, I don't think there has been too much of scrutiny on his actual competence. And we are talking about a a tactician, right? We when when United was signing him, he was supposed to be the tactician forward kind of coach. And there is a lot. There is a lot to. We really came on the spot and we laughed and we derised derisory tones um, about Ange when they did that high line when they went down to nine nine men, right? But for me, playing a system which has a 60% of your team pressing high and then a huge gap and then three or four like guys at the at the half line, that is as naive and stupid as a tactic uh, for me. And this is not, like RK said, this is not the first time. And it's not the first time we have also talked about it. So maybe we should have... Um, I may said said something controversial, and maybe then we would have got called out by uh, by people in the UK. But but my point is that it's not it's not now a, a one off case. So it's some. I think it is the right 
time and it's the same with poch right like some of the things that we were talking about mentality there are there are things that he has to he has to instill in his teams and both of them it's not it's not a coincidence that both of these managers responded to a sky journalists uh, analysis or not analysis in gary neville's case or like jibes right so like i think it's very clear they're both under a lot of pressure and the fact that they've even brought themselves down to a level where they're addressing uh, the caragher and neville although caragher's piece was really good i think it was very like very well done and i don't think there was anything wrong or anything biased in what what he, he's i'm sure he's biased but i don't think that piece was anything uh, biased so the fact that they're now responding i think is not a good sign for both clubs i think the managers when they reach this zone it, it's a slippery slope from here yeah and and you know the tactical choices also so in position i thought his ajax team were a sensational team to watch in in terms of the patterns uh, you know the pass and move that they were able to implement and you can sometimes see some of that at times with this united team also so in terms of build up i am not you know as hopeless as the off the ball work is but even on that aspect the things that he got wrong uh, you know wrong in this match so with the inform hoylun injured what does he choose to do if i you know was thinking logically we have a front three who's been scoring goals working in tandem well our xg creation has also improved a lot in 2024 if if one of the main guys is out i would keep the other two in their position and you know whoever comes in replaces hoylun what does ten and i think that's a no brainer for me going into that match but what does what does ten hag do he changes all three of the positions garnacho who was playing so well on the right goes to the left side rashford who was playing decently on the left we of course there are things off the ball which are uncom uh, you know uncompromisable which we have kind of targeted him for but he plays as a striker which he's never done well especially this season and then he brings in a debutant who had a couple of encouraging displays at number 9 he was actually a winger but he's played decently at number 9 in a, in a couple of cameos and what does he do he plays him on the right and on the right you you have better options than that debutant you know uh, sorry you have better options than forson on the right you you have amad diallo who you can bring in i would say you know you even bring in antony for god's sake but forson has never impressed on the right for us even in preseason so i think he got everything wrong with the team selection and the whole body language the energy was so down you know it it all could be how probably they were also lacking belief in you know how they were set up in that game that that's what i would like to say when your team energy goes down i think it has to do with the kind of belief they have as well the, the, there is already some chatter about who will potentially succeed eric ten hag because now that ratcliffe is in charge he's just giving him till the end of the season and then he will make a decision and obviously displays like these don't help his case if he is let go i think it is still graham potter at the top in terms of the betting odds and i don't remember who's second and third is thomas tuchel i mean apart from these two as well who would you actually have come in if it's not ten hag if it comes to yeah, pass i think uh, probably the two names outside of england i can think of i i am not convinced by either of them but it has to be probably nagelsman and amorim amorim has those same problems which ten hag had uh, coming from a league where you know you can do whatever sensational stuff you want but it it doesn't really prove much in terms of what you've cut at the highest level and nagelsman might be a good good coach on the you know training ground but i think he's had his issues with man management and 
managing pressure which is uh, you know uh, at a very big club which he struggled with at bayern and uh, probably in terms of personality he's not really shown that he can you know take on that kind of a challenge so i am not at all excited by the you know rather the opposite part of it when you mention potter's name i just want to vomit or something but i so it's it's really not looking great in terms of options it's not like we have someone like an alonso you know who's who we have had a great legacy with you know it, uh, like there's no great ex united player who's really you know catching fire somewhere so that's also uh, difficult in terms of who are who we are going to bring in Yeah. Yes. So on from a Liverpool perspective, Alonso obviously everybody's talking about him, but Amorim is actually from everything that I'm reading very high up on that list of priorities as well. So whatever analysis and analytics that they do in their search for managers and the same team who did it for the eventual decision to hire Klopp will do it again, right? So from all the articles that I'm reading, Amorim is thought of very highly. So he, I'm sure, would be on. the radars of chelsea and and united as well so uh, i uh, un- uh, unless you're rio and you think that is going to be arteta who comes to to united one of the most like the the level of clickbait is shit on uh, that that we see these days is just so annoying rio ferdinand man he's like one of those guys that you just have to mute from all all forms of social media yeah yeah so it's graham potter who's under 3s to 1 who's got better odds than 3s to 1 Then it's Amorim six to one, Tuchel six to one, then Simon Inzaghi at eight to one, and then Dizzo. So yeah, Dizzo is an interesting name. I thought about it briefly last week after this Fulham game, but yeah, it's it has slipped out of my mind. Probably that is something that would excite me much much more than the other names. Uh, Amorim, but are, not, but are you not a little worried about Dizzo? We've not talked about it much since the first say five six games of the season, but haven't Brighton fallen off a cliff? Yeah, they are like they are quite close to. mid-table mediocrity right now right uh, they had a run of uh, four wins in 17 games in the premier league this season which is obviously nowhere near what they had last season i think the mitigating circumstances that they've they're in europe for the first time and they're doing decently well there and because of that uh, a lot of that is mitigated but yeah i remember james horncastle once talking about the fact that uh, he rarely gets sacked because he moves on to some other place by the time things are at his uh, current club so it might just happen that it's something similar uh, with deserve at the end of the season but again you're looking at bayern you're looking at uh, maybe madrid you're looking at liverpool you'll maybe looking at united may- might even be looking at chelsea all these places might be looking for managers and there's there's not too many elite ones to go around so we might end up with someone taking a punt on on someone new or not so established maybe it's graham potter at man united you never know the uh, you know the lesser we talk about that swag the better please <laughs> i mean thank you lucky stars ab is not here but uh, yeah uh, fpl chat haland was triple captained by some people in the hope that he would score tons of goals and failure to do so has meant that uh, ashwin is not on today's pod he decided to give it a miss any key tips and tricks radha for this weekend's action I... ashwin must be so pissed off about that because the next <laughs> game which is a non league game goes and scores five goals yeah and four assists for kdb as well yeah not just ashwin or k anybody who plays fantasy is pissed off right now as someone who 
triple captain Haaland uh, maybe three months ago, and Pep took him off at half time, and I got one point into three, three points. Uh, I I don't have any sympathy for any of these people right now, but um, uh, but yeah, I think one a couple of sleepers who I think wish, I think football managers should. Start uh, fantasy manager should start looking into. I think Gross, uh, Fabian Gross, is just like looking so consistent at his outputs, uh, goals and assists all through. Um, I think there's a really interesting one given the price. Muniz from Fulham. Um, I, I really loved the game that Muniz played against United. I know that there were a lot of challenges in from United's play point of view, but his uh, centre forward play I thought was really. Um, Promising, he looks like somebody who's going to get on the end of things uh, and also set up people in his team. So he's definitely one at a really cheap price. I think it's around four point nine or something. So um, he's one to look at as well. Um, I never like this guy, but uh, they have uh, a bunch of decent fixtures coming up. Uh, Jordan Ayew as a midfielder suddenly seems to be uh, involved, and there's a new manager bounce. Um, possibility there as well so he's someone for cheap for a cheap alternative as well but i think this week arsenal have some easy fixtures i for one i'm going to be captaining saka and not holland against united jared bowen just saved his manager's job i, I don't know if that uh, you know he's coming into form had a pretty good season last time out let's see if he catches fire a bit more He's actually one of the top scorers of the of the FPL season so far. He but he's had a maybe rough patch of the last four or five games before this hat trick uh, uh, game. And I actually had a tough choice between him and Gross. I've gone for Gross uh, uh, this this week. So let's see uh, let's see how that works out. One more thing in terms of uh, differentials. Dom Solanke has been one of the highlights of the season. Uh, his fitness is still under question. So, there might be a case for uh, Marcus Tavernier to come into Bournemouth's uh, squad, particularly because I think they play twice next game week. So, that might be an interesting shout to look out for. All right. Moving on from FPL, um, the other teams chasing the title, Arsenal and City. Arsenal thrashed Newcastle. I mean, it's ever since they've come back from this break, in Dubai or Abu Dhabi, wherever they were, like 6 nil, 5 nil, 4 1. Okay, they're, they're probably losing steam. They're going down one goal every game. And, and this time they conceded one as well. But but thrashing Newcastle so badly. What a display. Uh, I, I, saw, I, I saw almost the whole game. Uh, the Right from the outset, the domination that Arsenal showed, Liverpool, uh, sorry, Newcastle were just camped inside their own half, defending in, you know, those. Typical old school banks of four, two banks of four. You know, you, you don't. Do, it's not easy to dominate. You know, Newcastle like that. Newcastle have been on a bad patch. They are conceding lots of goals, but territorially dominating them to that extent is not easy. Uh, so it shows how good Arsenal are fundamentally. You know that they can do that, and some of the speed of the passing uh, between, or especially on the right side. Uh, you know between Odegaard and Saka, it's, it's, they have hit a new level right now. They always had a good chemistry, but things are really coming together on that side. Uh, Havertz is also, you know, gelling more into the play. He's able to, you know, link up more, make, even though he's still missing, uh, you know, really easy chances. But uh, as a whole, that unit is really, really clicking. Lots of really fast, sexy, beautiful moves that they are bringing up. Uh, it's, I, I can say lots of, you know, only good things to say about 
how Arsenal are playing. The only complaint they would have is probably their old homeboy scoring against them. <laughs> and uh, after that, I think uh, he kind of shoved one of those Arsenal players off also. So, uh, probably they would not be happy about conceding to him. We have seen lots of instances of, you know, ex-players coming and scoring against uh, their older clubs. So, other than that, it's it's been, a, I think it's been the best tenure of Arteta's era probably the last two or three weeks. Yeah, listen, I I know this is going to probably not pan out and you can never, Man City just lull you into this. But honestly, if you ask me right now, who do I fancy Arsenal or Man City? For me, it's Arsenal right now. I think their defensive solidarity is consistent. They have... A real game changer. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but for me, the real game changer is their set pieces again against Newcastle. The set pieces were back. It's it's such a competitive advantage that they have right now, and this is in a week where honestly, I I think Man City were dead lucky that they didn't uh, end up dropping points because Bournemouth tore Man City apart in the second half, and Man City are looking like they can be got at. Of course, it's a matter of time until they have like a final five goal. Performance from Haaland and four assists from right, De Bruyne. Right, this weekend, rather. It's going to happen this weekend. Yeah, sure. And it, it might happen this weekend also. Because there are a lot of problems at United's end and, and Man City are due one. But my my point is, every second or third game, Man City look vulnerable. Arsenal just don't. They've, they dominated a very good informed Liverpool team. They've smashed everybody else that they faced pretty much in this new year. They've conceded like a ridiculously low amount of goals in the last 10-15 games. I, if you were to ask me if I was to, if I was forced to place a bet at this point of time, Arsenal are my favourites to win the league. I'm, I'm not moving away from City at all because they have this, you know, capability just to get those three points. That's what they do. That's what they have done in the last two games. I think no one knows to win better than City six in the last seven seasons. I mean, you, you know, they might not always be the most convincing, but they will somehow get the job done. The only thing I, I agree for is, you know, they lose some which they are not showing at the moment, lose some hunger. You have won three consecutive leagues, lose some hunger, guys. It's just not human. I, see, I agree with everything and I'm never going to come out here and really, really dive deeper into questioning Man City's credentials to win the league title. That's not going to happen. But all the signs, the momentum, at this point of time, I think Arsenal are playing better than Man City. And Arsenal last year were playing better than Man City in the first half. And then they had the second half to kind of show a decline. This time, they've managed to stay neck and neck while not really performing that well in the first half. And now they look untouchable, really. They look really, really good, solid uh, in all the games that they've been playing. Goals are flowing. Everybody looks energetic. We were saying a few, maybe months ago, that they're looking lethargic. Saka's looking tired. Everybody's now looking fresh and fit. Um, I... I know I'm not going to uh, come out and say Man City are incapable of winning the league. Nobody's going to. I mean, I'm not going to get sucked into that again, or so I think. But uh, but yeah, Arsenal for me right now are just edging it, and yeah, that's uh, I can be but, proved but totally wrong, of course. Because everyone you know has their own kind of uh, momentum swings going on. Arsenal looking for that first trophy in so many years had a you know really tragic end to last season, and now they look stronger for it. Liverpool at you know on that emotional roller coaster ride and probably that's going to give them momentum. Man City, you know it's it's always like you know defending their fortress. Guardiola is all back to being pumped up. De Bruyne four assists, talent five goals, you know that kind of form building. So it's each of them you know on their own. Uh, I think turbo charged path. I would say. 
Yeah, I know you tried to include Man City in that just because there are three teams fighting for the title, but their narrative was pretty freaking boring. Like, oh, yo, just another the third title will win and Pep Guardiola. They are like they don't have a story, but yeah, of course they are probably going to win the title anyway. Yeah, yeah but they, but speaking they, they of might City, just be they might just be going for a repeat of last season where they end up winning the Champions League, the Premier League, and the FA Cup. Honestly, again. If you really think about it, and you can never write off Real Madrid, but you honestly think about it, who's going to stop them in the Champions League? I honestly feel it's the best chances Arsenal only. Who else? I really don't see anybody in a in a two-legged tie against Man City coming close to stopping them. I do feel like Arsenal in the league over the last three four games have shown that they can walk neck and neck with Man City in a one-off game, and in a tight game, I think Arsenal set-piece dominance is a game changer so even in the champions league i think arsenal are the only team that knowing arsenal they'll probably like lose to porto and 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 yeah. that's possible right so they they're equally so, capable of beating man city and equally capable of um, in europe losing to somebody so, you don't expect you know, them if, to lose if to. my brother hears this pod to when it re- when it releases tomorrow the first thing is going to say about these 5 minutes is radha is on a jinxing spree because <laughs> And the reason for that that he will give is that Porto is one nil up and you know it's going to be so tough and you know blah blah blah. But yeah, yeah, I I don't I agree I don't see anyone beating City over two legs, even if okay by a freak incident you say that okay City have lost the first leg. They know exactly what they need to do in the second leg to win. But it's but only you know, it it can be also moments team who can you know do it. Uh, who's clinical and i wouldn't put it beyond bellingham I, does he have an injury right now i don't i don't know how if so how long he's out for but i'm assuming it's not very serious i i would back bellingham to you know be that moments guy and kind of able to put those finishes away and madrid have done that in the past so if you're asking me i i would say yeah, madrid and arsenal have a pretty good chance of stopping them okay maybe jude is the one who will be belling the city but yeah, moving on, uh, RK hinted at that and uh, City are going to be playing Man United this weekend. So that's obviously our game to watch out for. Um, RK is obviously going to say that City are going to win 7-0 with Haaland scoring 6 this time and KDB getting 5 assists. I'm not going to bother asking I think, you. I think, I, I think I'm also going to say that. Uh, so, so <laughs> I'm not... I'm not going to go as bad as 7-0 with Haaland scoring 6, but I don't see a way past this. I Okay, let's let's put things into context. I thought City were crap against Bournemouth. I thought they were really second best in that second half. I think Bournemouth should have scored. Edison is really coming up with some good saves as well. So they are holding on by the by the by their fingernails, but if you look at, obviously, you know what City has and then you look at the gaps that are going to be there in Manchester United's structure, in their spine. Uh, and who is the perfect person to make the, make use of a gap? Kevin De Bruyne. And just, just in case they were feeling like, oh shit, something's not working. Maybe my passing is just a bit off. Maybe my timing is just a bit off. Maybe my finishing is just a bit off. They've just had a dress rehearsal of <laughs> bloody four assists and five goals, man. So... Yeah, I think it's going to be a comfortable United, uh, Man City victory. And uh, I am preempting any jinxing that comes from now. So, any jinx that RK does is just going to help turn it towards uh, United favour now. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, that five goals and four assists just came at the wrong time. 
because they will now head into that match thinking if they never thought that way in this match they will definitely think that they can do anything they want so that's that's definitely a bad sign the only hope i have for this game is uh, that you know united go into that completely you know negative kind of uh, game tactics mindset which they sometimes do on these kind of trips uh, the the last such example would be of course the anfield away game where i think we were in a really really bad run no one expected anything probably a, a lot of people expected a repeat of 7-0 also would be possible and ended up defending quite well limiting liverpool's chances and you know man city have been uh, kind of uh, vulnerable to the counter uh, you know and and united are still capable of carrying a counter threat uh, of course it's it's a really bad miss that uh, it pretty much looks certain that hoyland won't be playing that's that's going to be a bad miss but we still have players who can hurt them on the counter but another problem would be that we don't have licha martinez we don't have maguire at the back what that means is that lindelof comes in and i don't think there is a bigger matchup you know mismatch in premier league than lindelof against haland so i somehow can't see past that at all uh, if nothing he's going to get three chances just because lindelof is playing and lindelof sometimes uh, or not sometimes often likes to play behind the keeper i think he you know if you look at his defensive positioning you might find him behind onana at times as well he's that deep so uh, not really liking that contest so let's so see what just, happens i'm just hoping that we stay really deep compact and hit them on the counter that's that's the only hope i'll just correct you rk um, i think if they play in my opinion i think if they play the way against they played against played against liverpool i think they're going down because in that game they offered no counter threat and the they did defend resolutely but they also gave the ball away so fast after winning it back these are things that you can't do against man city like liverpool were having an off day it ended up being a nil nil but if you do that against man city who anyway are going to have 65% of the ball if you recover it and then you give it back within the first 10 15 seconds against man city i think it's not going to work uh, and the fact that they offered no real actual counter attacking commitment in that game at anfield again is you have to have some counter attack against man city because they are, have frailties they do have frailties and i think bournemouth i think they should just watch the bournemouth game it was not rocket science i think they they, they just played effective football against a good team who has problems and they're there but i i, I honestly don't feel like uh, united or ten hag are in the right frame of mind in the right stability situation right now to take advantage of some of that so yeah in my opinion it's going to be a straightforward uh, man city victory no completely agree uh, i was more talking from a defensive shape <clears throat> united definitely need to offer threat on the counter and i think liverpool are good in the press they are very sometimes uh, you know when they are on their game they are pretty dominant off the ball i i think city have more problems and uh, united have been in good form from an attacking point of view of course that was with hoylon hitting a good patch so i i would expect i i am more coming from the tactical point of view probably we are better served because that at least enables us to be compact deeper right as opposed to having that huge uh, you know gap in between so i think that's the way for us in this game one more game um, i want to call out is newcastle against wolves uh, I don't think anyone would have thought at the beginning of the season that this could be a game a crucial game in the battle for uh, European spots. Uh, I think Newcastle are a couple of points above or below Wolves and both teams are in the top half. Um 
kudos to Gary O'Neill again. I I feel like this is something I kept saying throughout last season when he was with Bournemouth. Uh, but Wolves were uh, a favourite to go down um, this season, get relegated. Lopetegui had just left before the start of the season, and now he's got them up to eighth and. Being one of the form teams in the league, um, I remember at the start of the season, Radha also said that why is someone like uh, Matthias uh, Cunha having to play under someone like Gary O'Neill? And he's turned him around into a um, performing striker and things are going well. I would actually hope that Wolves beat Newcastle and inject more fun in the European battle. Yeah, I think uh, Gary O'Neill has definitely surprised me. I didn't think Wolves... I honestly thought Wolves were going to be in the dogfight uh, this season. Um, I thought that this season is a step down from their ambitious uh, projects over the last few years. Um, I just, it just I, I think I fell prey to the whole... The names of these foreign managers versus like a championship manager. And I think that bias definitely did kick in for me. And I thought that Gary O'Neill is a step down. But he has probably been one of the most progressive things that Wolves have done since the the best of Wolves mm-hmm. when they first came up to the league. So yeah, good on them. They have um, a pretty strong, I think He Chan Huan, uh, Huang has also been really good. Um, they have Pedro Neto, who I think outside the top six clubs is one of the best players in the league. We talked about him a little earlier in the season and he's back. And he's back being, I think that goal he scored, I think RKU called it out as one of your goals of the week last last time we spoke. So he's a really, really dynamic and exciting player. So now they have individual threats and some systems uh, going that way as well. So yeah, very good team. I think they're better than Newcastle, if you ask me, uh, at this point of time. And uh, Newcastle are in a slippery, slippery slope. So I do see Wolves possibly winning that game and just wondering when's time up for Eddie Howe. I, I think he gets to the end of the season. But uh, as they've already said, their best hope of getting into Europe is the FA Cup. Unfortunately for them, they've run into Manchester City in the next round. So I think that adventure is about to finish with a hat-trick of assists or goals or whatever those two crazy blonde men will come up with uh, in that round. But on that note, listeners, we'll leave you with the abiding image of Manchester City taking on Manchester United. And when we come back next week, we'll ask RK to provide us with a 20-minute summary of the game. I wonder which direction he'll take us into. Or or I might, you know, be so badly shaken that I might need to skip the next (laughs) spot. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. For now, have a good weekend. Bye-bye.